Welcome to Making Coffee, a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into making one of the world's favorite beverages. I'm your host, Lucia Solis, a former winemaker turned coffee processing specialist. Thanks for joining this week's episode. Welcome to episode seven. This is going to be a little different than the previous episodes where I take a topic and do a deep dive into something that I find interesting or curious and want to share with you. This is a a harvest update for lack of a better term. Maybe I'll come up with something a little bit better as, as the season goes on. But as I'm recording this, I've been away from home for 21 days out of what will eventually be 120 So it's currently coffee harvest time in Central America, and this is the time of the year when I am traveling the most and seeing clients at their mills and doing really my job, which I think is a little bit hard to understand. And sometimes it's difficult for me to explain it. Um, I remember a while ago, I was doing a interview for a German publication and they were asking me about my title, you know, fermentation designer, processing specialist. And they wanted to know how I got here and how does one become that? And I think they really wanted to know the academic path that one takes to become a uh, fermentation designer. And I think I I disappointed or surprised them because, you know, they're asking me, um, how does one get that title? Actually, that was a specific question. How does one get that title? And I said, well, I just made it up. And that, that, I think that very much surprised them, maybe from, that's just not something a lot of people do in Germany, um, you know, make up their own job descriptions. But I work for myself. I am my own boss, so I can give myself any title I want. And that's the title that I like. So coffee producers who are curious about fermentation or want to conduct trials in a controlled way, reach out to me. And a lot of the people who reach out to me are people that have been conducting experiments for a long time, but they haven't had a positive results or consistently positive results. Um, I've definitely had some clients who contact me and they say, you know, we've been experimenting for five years and I just need something that works. Like they're, they're tired of sort of throwing spaghetti against the wall, seeing what sticks. Sometimes they get really great results. Sometimes they don't, and they don't usually know why. And when they don't know why it's very difficult to replicate. It's a lot of the ways that people reach out to me is when they've been kind of frustrated with the experimentation uh, trajectory. So I really like those cases because I have a lot of baseline data of what they've tried and what hasn't worked and maybe what has, and then I can help them uncover why some of their successes were successes and where some of the pitfalls can be. So it's usually a producer who wants to improve the quality of their coffee, is interested and would like some guidance as to how to make that happen. And they've heard that fermentation is a a good option. And so they call me. We set up, uh, we look at my calendar, set up a time for me to come. Usually my visits are one week. So I would travel Sunday, arrive on a Monday and kind of spend the whole week together at their mill, um, seeing how the coffee cherry arrives, um, go through pulping, do fermentation trials based on their desired profile, based on sort of the strengths that their coffee has already. So usually before I arrive, I ask for a sample shipped to me to Cleveland, and I will cut that sample and test if there's um, what what attributes are already there. So. Perhaps a coffee sample is 
pretty fruity and has some good acid, but is very much thin and lacking in body. And that's something that I can help with, uh, with uh, fermentation and, and different yeast processes. Or perhaps it has a lot of body. It, it's a very robust and structured coffee, but it's missing a fruity component and they'd like to get some of that um, or acid there. And so, you know, either one of those things could be low or missing. And that's something that we can address in the fermentation tank. So first I get a sample of their coffee. I kind of decide, you know, what I think could be um, sort of like what, what volume could be turned up and where. Then I get to the mill. So we see the process. We spend three or four days processing coffee together, creating different lots that are, you know, consistent in so that they can be replicated if we have good results and that also take into consideration the realities of that mill. So I'm not going to design a process that is very labor intensive if that is an issue for them or something that requires a lot of water if that's not a resource. Conversely, I look at some of the strengths that the mill has. Um, do they have, you know, very consistent weather versus a place that is, say, very hot during the day, but the temperatures drop a lot at night and there's a, you know, a very large temperature difference? That'll affect what type of design I make. Or if they dry predominantly mechanically or predominantly, you know, in patios or raised beds. Um, the, the labor, you know, how many people are available to move the coffee is another thing I, I take into consideration. And their water source. Where is their water coming from? Is it coming from uh, collected rainwater? Is it a spring? Is it a well? Is it a river? All of those things kind of factor in. And I'm able to design something for that location that makes sense for that location and also addressing sort of the quality needs of the coffee. So a, a normal visit for me is a week. And after that, you know, I leave before the coffee is completely done drying, but I monitor it. We, we have a relationship through um, WhatsApp and through Skype and the modern miracle of technology. And then after the coffee's been dried, they ship me a sample in Cleveland and I'm able to cup it again. And then we discuss uh, the results, what we would like to tweak. And my best clients are clients that I've had for multiple seasons where we can build upon, you know, last season's results and try different things or even scale up. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people don't take into consideration that, you know, if you do a small bucket trial of a fermentation and let's say maybe it's um, 30, 40 pounds, the fermentation kinetics, the temperature difference, the microbial pressure in that small bucket, in that container is going to be really different when you try to replicate that in say, make a ton. So if you like a certain process, um, if you like a certain fermentation at a certain temperature for 36 hours in a small bucket, you can't necessarily just replicate that formula, that recipe of 36 hours um, in a larger tank because so many factors change. And that's what I do usually the second year. So we'll do some small scale trials, figure out what works, and then I, I can come back the next year and then figure out how to scale that up, how to go from a bucket trial to full production, because it really is a different, a different animal. So that process, like I said, takes about a week. So in previous years, I spent November to March flying one week to Central America and one week home. So traveling one week on, one week off. And sometimes I would double up and see three clients in one month. And 
This pace is really difficult because it kept me constantly on the move and in airports, and I was never quite anywhere long enough to feel rested. I, you know, especially when I was going to Africa or to Brazil and then flying home, like the jet lag alone felt like, but, you know, by the time I got over jet lag and unpacked, it was, you know, maybe a day before I had to repack, get back to the airport and, and head somewhere else. So there was a moment where I felt like I might need to quit working in coffee because the travel itself was, was too demanding. And I think this is an interesting industry because of the amount of travel required by many parties along the chain, you know, my made up job, as well as, you know, roasters and green buyers travel constantly, um, importers travel constantly to strengthen their relationships and producers do as well. Many producers who have the means travel to different trade shows, to different cities, to meet with their, their customers and to get new customers. So on both sides, there's a lot of travel from producers traveling to consuming countries and then consumers traveling to producer countries, because there's really no better way to build a relationship than to meet face to face and not just meet face to face, but to, you know, sit in each other's kitchens and to share a cup of coffee and to be immersed in the other culture and understand the other culture that you're doing business with. Because as I've mentioned in other podcasts, like it is such a huge world that drinks coffee and you're dealing with many languages and many time zones and many countries and many cultures and very many different customs that there's, there's very little, um, alternative to meeting face to face. So it's this interesting industry where I think travel is essential to its success. And I also find it pretty problematic. Um, I think it's an overly glamorized part of the job. I think because coffee grows in beautiful places and I feel really lucky to have seen so much of the world and get to call it work. I think sometimes we forget the toll that it takes physically, um, not being able to, you know, consistently, be in one place and the toll that it can take with relationships, with personal relationships to be gone constantly. And I think the other thing that isn't talked about often enough is the toll that it takes environmentally on the planet to be having so much air travel. So I started thinking more about the environmental impact of my traveling and when I'm home, I try to be very conscious. So I don't have a car. I walk everywhere. I walk to the grocery store. I walk to the doctor. Um, if I, you know, I take an Uber to the airport, but it was very important for me to kind of get out of that cycle. I try to be as plastic free as possible, package free when I'm at home. I try to reduce my meat consumption as much as possible. Um, I've gone pretty far down the rabbit hole of thinking about you know, my role as a consumer. And I made a big move canceling Amazon Prime. When I go to the grocery store, I bring not just my own bags, but my own containers for bulk. So, you know, peanut butter, olive oil, anything I can buy in bulk in my own containers. And it takes a little bit more planning, but you know, it's, it's something that I'm, I have the time and I'm interested in doing. And another big part is, you know, the clothing that we consume. I stopped buying new clothing and I'm only purchasing secondhand or really not at all. I even had this dress challenge before I left in October where I wore the same dress for the entire month of October. 
And I hope it doesn't sound too braggy. I'm just sharing because I just want you to know that I really think about this stuff. And the flying has been a pretty large thorn in my side that I'm still trying to work out. I think about my impact on the planet a lot in terms of the products that I use, the food that I buy, and the way that I live my life when I'm at home. But flying eclipses all of that. Um, all of the flying that I do completely dwarfs any of the good deeds, the good effort that I try to put in while I'm at home. And so one of the things that I decided to try this year is instead of going back and forth between Central America and the United States, like every other week, I'm going to be staying in Central America the entire four months. So this accomplishes two things. I can actually see more clients because I'm not wasting time flying back and forth and being in airports and being jet lagged and packing and unpacking. And it also addresses my main point of feeling, you know, that contributing to so much carbon emissions is not part of my mission. And so how I could kind of align these two. So by staying in Central America, I'm able to I, I still have to try. I still have to fly to some countries, but it's a much shorter flight from, you know, Mexico to Guatemala than having to fly back to Cleveland and down. So I've reduced the number of flights that I'm taking. I've reduced my travel time. Um, and then I'm also able to get around more in these countries in a car instead of on a plane. So it's a completely new experiment for me to be gone this long and to, you know, not have that kind of reset of going back home and sleeping in my bed and getting fresh clothes. I had to pack for four months in a carry-on for a couple of different weather conditions from, you know, very hot El Salvador conditions to cool Guatemalan mountains to Mexico, somewhere in the middle. So that's been kind of a fun challenge. And the other fun part was not just am I having four months of materials, including my tools for my site visits. So my pH meter, my refractometer, all of my, um, my gear. And I think this is going to be, it's going to have to be its own episode because traveling with coffee, there is a picture in the newsletter that where about 40% of my suitcase was actually dedicated to coffee. So I brought an AeroPress, I brought a hand grinder, a baby scale, and a lot of Phoenix coffee because the coffee that you find in producing countries is not often the quality that you find back home. So again, that's a whole other topic. If you have any stories that you'd like to share with me of the lengths that you've gone to for you know, bringing coffee when you travel or things that you've carried with you while you've traveled. I'd love to hear them. Um, you can submit those at my website at lucia.coffee slash podcast. And Lucia is spelled L-U-X-I-A. I would love to hear from you and not feel like such a crazy person who's dedicating this much suitcase space, this much precious suitcase space to uh, bringing coffee from home. So that's it for me. I'm going to keep it short and sweet this week, give you just a little update about my travels and what I'm thinking about, which is the concept of this paradox, this tension between travel being absolutely essential for good business and so harmful for the planet. I have a really hard time reconciling those two things and I'm doing my best to try and work around it. But even this, I'm not sure how, how sustainable it is. Anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing your stories. 
Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out with me this week. And remember, life's too short to drink bad coffee. I'll see you guys next week.